You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Good morning, guys. Everybody well this morning? Other than Sam's knee, right? Well, it's good to see you here. Uh, We are in the second Sunday of a new message series on the book of Galatians. Uh, If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and take a listen uh, to the message online. Um, And also there is a a link in your program uh, for the Bible Project's overview of uh, Paul's epistle uh, to the Galatian churches. Um, And we began this new message series last week and the series is called No Other Gospel. Um, Because after Paul planted this group of churches known as the Galatian churches all the way from Pisidian Antioch to Derbe, he he moved on to plant some more churches to disciple some more people in Ephesus. And there he learned about what was happening uh, in Galatia and the Galatian churches. Uh, He learned that a group of Jewish legalists known as Judaizers, that they were teaching a, uh, a gospel, if you will, that was not the true gospel at all. They were saying that faith in Jesus was inadequate to fully receive salvation uh, and the kingdom of God. They were saying that, yeah, receive Jesus, but also continue or begin to adhere to the Jewish law as prescribed in the Old Testament, that that was the only way that you were able to really be part of the family of God. Well, with a sense of urgency and with a sense of intensity, Paul writes the Galatians to underscore the truth that he first preached to them, that salvation is a gift of God's grace that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. And so he's writing with that as the main premise. And and for the church today, I believe it's important for us Uh, to really reinforce this truth. And maybe for some people, it's you're hearing it for the very first time, this true gospel, the true gospel that there is no other way to fully receive the gift of salvation uh, except through Jesus Christ, putting our trust and our faith in him as Lord and Savior. Uh, Today, in our culture, in our world, we're seeing uh, so many mixed messages about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There are all sorts of cultural beliefs that would try to attach itself to what it means to be a Christian or societal stances on different issues, even political allegiances. Now, part of the Judaizers' argument against the gospel that Paul was preaching was actually an attack against Paul himself. They were saying that, okay, you're coming and you're presenting yourself as this called apostle, but you didn't even know Jesus. You weren't one of his original disciples. And they were basically saying, you know what? Uh, You're sort of a a second-rate apostle if you are one at all. And so in the first two chapters of uh, the the book of Galatians, Paul is actually defending his apostolic calling in order to establish the divine origin of the gospel that he preached. Because it's sort of like they wanted, if they wanted to discredit the gospel, they could discredit the messenger if they wanted to discredit the message. And that's what they were trying to do. That was part of their whole case. The Judaizers argued that, um, that, that Paul, he was not a true, authentic apostle. And, 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 and they were right from the standpoint of the fact that Paul 
had never been with Jesus as one of the original 12 disciples that then were commissioned by Jesus and, and called into ministry. But although uh, a calling and commissioning to go into ministry didn't happen uh, in the midst of the 12 disciples, Paul had his own definitive experience with Jesus Christ. That was very real, that was very compelling, that changed the trajectory of his life forever. It was on uh, his way to Damascus. This was uh, when Paul was Saul, Saul of Tarsus, and he was a Jew of Jews. He was pursuing uh, just the persecution of this thing called the church, the believers in Jesus Christ. He was persecuting them. He was actively engaged in that. He is on his way to Damascus to do that yet once again, and there he has an encounter, a powerful experience with Jesus. And you can read all about that in Acts chapter 9 as part of the backstory. He was going to continue uh, on his campaign of, of persecuting the church, but there he had a personal revelation of Jesus Christ that empowered him and enabled him to be someone who could not just preach the gospel, but actually live it out. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Having a personal revelation of Christ that empowers us and enables us to live out the gospel. That, that road to Damascus, that is where Jesus was called and commissioned by Jesus himself uh, to, uh, to call Paul and to preach to the Gentiles. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And as we read this part of Paul's letter to the Galatian church, I want to remind you of this and, and cause you to think about this for your own life. Uh, as we read how this experience, this encounter, this revelation that Paul had with the living, risen Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, uh, be reminded that God wants each one of us to have our own personal revelation of the gospel from Jesus Christ. And many of us have, have already had that. That's why we are followers of Jesus. But if you're here today and you have not yet had that, know that this is God's will for you, his good pleasure for you to know him, to encounter him. Maybe not the same way that Saul encountered Jesus. We'll be looking at some other examples of that, but certainly in a way that is life-changing and transformative. So if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to read with me. Uh, Galatians 1, we're going to begin in verse 11, and uh, the passages will be on the screen as well. It's, uh, a little bit of a lengthy passage, but we're going to, uh, it's, it's all background. Uh, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. 
I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. And later, many years later, in fact, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, who we know as Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. And then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we love you, we welcome you, we honor you, and we invite you to open our hearts and minds and our lives to your spirit-breathed word. Uh, Come, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Lord, come and, and give us fresh revelation of who you are and who you have called us to be and the things that you've called us to do out of that. We love you, we love your presence, We love your gospel. We love the things of your kingdom. So come, uh, bring your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, if you're not that familiar with Paul's, um, Saul's, uh, his formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, his conversion experience, I do want to encourage you to go and and read it in Acts chapter 9. It's it's where um, Luke writes about this encounter that, that Paul had with Jesus on his way to Damascus to actually persecute Christians. He, that's what, his, what he was doing. And then if you want to go back to Acts 22, uh, there Luke records Paul sharing his God story, his conversion story, uh, his testimony of how Jesus was unveiled uh, or revealed to him to be the true Messiah that Saul and all Israel had been longing for and looking for and praying for and expecting. So here in Galatians 1, Paul is really Uh, It could seem that Paul is trying to defend himself, but that is not what he's concerned about. That is not what he is doing. He realizes that the validity and the integrity of his apostleship has implications on the validity and the integrity of the message of the gospel. That is the thing that concerns him, and that is why he is taking the time to establish the fact that he was called by Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Uh, He wasn't called through uh, either Peter or James or John. He wasn't like a second tier B team, uh, you know, uh, apostleship. No, he had a personal encounter uh, with Jesus Christ. And like a skilled attorney, Paul begins to make his case by presenting the evidence. He does that. Galatians uh, 1.11, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. This is not something that I learned or apprenticed under someone else to receive. I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This word, uh, actually in in the Greek, uh, is a variation of the word apocalypse. But in this context, it means the whole idea of, of an unveiling. Of a, of a revealing of something that was previously hidden, now being made known. 
And I am so glad that Jesus is still in the business of revealing himself today through the Holy Spirit. He continues to do that in, in profound and powerful ways. Um, I, I, I read of an account from 2022 where a Muslim man in the Middle East, um, he shared his revelation with a Christian missionary who was, who was ministering in that, that country. And he told, uh, the, the Muslim man told him, he said, for a solid month, every night I'd go to sleep and I would be awakened by this man dressed in white that just radiated light. Uh, and he would tell me to take pencil and paper and to write something down every night that he came. And I did that for 30 days consistently. Every night he did that. And the missionary asked him, it's like, well, could I see what you wrote down? And he shared it with him, and this was what it was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and he went on to read, and it was the entirety of the Gospel of John verbatim. It's like, wow. God still is revealing himself. Jesus continues to reveal himself in all kinds of ways, all kinds of ways. Uh, I, it's about just desiring this. This is the will of God. This is the good pleasure of God for every person that they would know him and, and have that experience. God wants us all to have our own experience, our own personal revelation of the gospel from Jesus Christ. It is God's desire to make himself known. Uh, and, and it may not be like Saul's encounter on the road to Damascus. It may not be like this Muslim man's experience, but God wants to make himself known to every one of us in, in profound and life-changing ways. This is something, uh, if you haven't experienced that, just ask God for that. Be open, be responsive. Um, Paul began, uh, begins with how he first encountered Jesus and how Jesus was unveiled to him. And then he continues to lay out this case, if you will, uh, for the authenticity of his apostleship, the power of this revelation and the impact that it had on changing formerly known as Saul, now Paul's life and his destiny. He continues in verse 13, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, not to me, but in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. What a, a, a transformation, what a changed life. And the most powerful expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a persuasive argument, it is a changed life. That is the most profound uh, evidence. Uh, good apologetics, they're excellent. They're great to have. 
but the proof in the pudding is very, very much a changed life. He turned from being, uh, Paul turned from being one who was persecuting the church uh, to one who was working for its protection and its proliferation. This was a major, major change that was very, very evident. Uh, this transformation in, in our lives, when we say yes to Jesus, when we receive the grace of God, it doesn't always look the same. Uh, quite often, it can be a very subtle. Uh, sometimes it seems like a very slow transformation, a slow changing. But sometimes it can be very, very dramatic. I, I, I think often of uh, a situation several years ago. There was a, a lady in our church whose elderly parents moved to our community from another part of the country. Um, and the couple, they would visit church sometime, but they really weren't into church. Uh, the little experience I had with them, uh, there was a lot of resistance. Uh, it was just sort of like, uh, this is our Pastor Reese, and you just felt this, this wall go up. Uh, and uh, even with my effervescent personality, that wall went up. I, I don't understand it. But anyway, uh, you just felt it. You just felt it. And it's like, okay. Uh, well, the mom uh, had some health problems. She had some pretty significant health problems. She, um, and so um, one day I got a call from the daughter saying, hey, my mom's in the hospital. They're really not expecting her to live uh, that much longer. Would you mind going and, and visiting with her and, and, and praying for her? I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. Um, and I went, and, um, and I went, and she was intubated, but she was conscious which that would be an awful thing. Just, and you saw fear in her eyes. It was just a lot of fear. And I went in, I reminded her who I was, and I asked her if I could pray for her. And then I, I, I said, you know, I, I want to talk to you about uh, your relationship with God and that Jesus loves you. And, and he, he wants you to have a relationship with you. And I don't know if you have one or not, but I'd like to, you know, if you'd like to, I'd love to pray with you to receive Jesus if you don't already know him as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. Would you like to do that? And she nodded, you know, yes, I would. And so I prayed for her and uh, I, I invited her to, to pray in her mind, you know, with me. And, and I asked her when we were done, did you pray to, to receive Jesus? She said, yes. And so I prayed for healing and then I left. Very honestly, I, I expected my next call from the daughter to be, hey, we need you to do a funeral. I mean, it was, things were really bleak. So the next day I get a call from the daughter and she's like, Reese, she'd made a major turnaround. Uh, in fact, she, the, she has been extubated and her whole countenance is amazingly different. So my mom has never been someone who was joyous. She's never been someone who was kind um, and all of a sudden, this is, this is, you know, she's a new person. It's like, okay, this, that is so awesome. And, and sure enough, over the course of the next several years, we started seeing this lady at church. And her whole, every Sunday, her countenance was completely different. The daughter said, my mom has never been a generous person. And all of a sudden, she's just giving things away. And it was just that thing, even in, in, in her late 70s, early 80s, she was able to get several more years here on earth. But that picture, that beautiful picture of transformation, I will never, ever forget. Uh, I love it how in Acts chapter 22, um, Paul shares his before and after. He shares his God story, and he gives us a really simple yet very wonderful model for sharing our own God story. Every one of us who are followers of Jesus, we have a God story. 
Maybe it's not something, you know, dramatic. Uh, I know, you know, I became a follower of Jesus at 10 and, you know, and I wasn't doing drugs and I wasn't, you know, and all that kind of stuff as a 10 year old. Praise God. Thank you for that. But, um, but some of our testimonies, our God stories, maybe more, more dramatic than others, but all of us have a, a God story to share. And it's, it's a basic formula that, that Paul provides us in Acts 22. And basically, is who I was before Christ. He gives uh, even an essence of it here in this particular passage and the evidence that he is presenting. Uh, remember who I was before Christ? How I lived, what I depended on, what was most important to me? And then recalling how he encountered Christ? You know, how did you encounter Christ? I, I, I encountered Christ by going to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, hearing the good news of Jesus, uh, and over a course of time, believing it, applying it, and understanding it, uh, and receiving God's grace for my life. For a lot of other people, it was much, much more dramatic. But the, the end result also is, is who I am, who I am now because of Christ. So share your own God story. Share your own God story. I encourage you to consider your own story, who you were before Christ, how you encountered Christ, and who you are now because of Christ. And pray for and look for opportunities to share your real life story. Because at the end of the day, that is the biggest and most powerful evidence for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, it's good to know apologetics and to be able to present it in logical ways, but the evidence of a changed life is nothing people can deny. And so I encourage you to look for those opportunities, pray for those opportunities to share that. With his experience with Jesus on the Damascus Road, Paul didn't really shift from one religion to another. I don't know that I would use the word conversion uh, fully as maybe you know thinking of moving from one religion to another, because you have to understand, as he insists in Acts 22 in his testimony, that he had always been loyal to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was loyal to them. He had always cherished the law. He loved the, the law, the promises, the, the Psalms, the prophets, and he continued to do so uh, as uh, a messenger of the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and so like many devout Jews, Saul of Tarsus was longing. He was praying for uh, the Messiah to come to bring deliverance for, for Israel to defeat the wicked pagans, to rescue God's people. So on his way to Damascus, Saul came to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was Israel's Messiah and therefore the world's true Lord, the hope of, of the nations. And, and, and for him, his Damascus Road experience was really a thoroughly Jewish experience because all of the Old Testament was being fulfilled. It was being fulfilled. It was a powerful, beautiful way. And so we're going to see a pattern throughout Galatians uh, that he insists that the coming to fruition, uh, that, that basically him coming to Christ was, was very much a coming to fruition of biblical promises that were laid out in the Old Testament through uh, the prophets. Uh, it was not an abandonment of them. And Paul, like so many others, uh, just, he just hadn't expected the Messiah to look like a crucified Jesus. 
That was not the Messiah uh, he was expecting. That was not the Messiah that most of Israel was expecting. And that's why so many didn't, didn't receive him. Uh, sort of an oxymoron to think of a crucified Messiah. They were thinking of a, a, a victor who would come in and bring political freedom and militaristic freedom. And yet we had a suffering servant. But notice how Paul alludes to particularly in this, just in the couple of verses here that we're going to read, uh, how he alludes uh, to uh, the prophets Jeremiah, the prophet Isaiah. He says this, but you know, when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul's referencing here um, Jeremiah. He, he, he says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, Jeremiah, uh, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, God told Jeremiah. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Uh, Saul, now Paul, was very, very familiar with all of the writings of the, the prophets and he's referring to, to the prophet Jeremiah here. And he goes on in, in Isaiah 49, 6, he refers this way. Uh, Isaiah uh, says, uh, God speaking through Isaiah, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So he's got this big picture. He hasn't lost the big picture. He's saying, this is the fulfillment. This is the fulfillment of the prophets, of the Old Testament Jewish prophets. Uh, Jesus is the fulfillment. And I would say this to mimic what Paul is saying here, that our experience of God, our personal experience of God, it matters greatly. But just like Paul models for us here, it should always be rooted in the larger narrative of scripture, okay? So yes, we are called to experience God, to know God, but it should always be in that context, the framework of this. And Paul gives us a beautiful example of what it means for us to experience God, his love, his grace, his peace, his presence, his, his power. And, and the narrative of the entirety of scripture gives us the framework for that. As a, as a church, we, Vineyard Church of Augusta, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that God speaks today. We believe that God empowers us to hear his voice and, and to see things in the spirit. But it is imperative that we recognize that everything we sense that we hear, everything that we sense that we see needs to align with the gold standard, the plumb line of the word of God. We need to make sure of that. That's why it's so important for us to know the word of God, to apply the word of God, uh, so that when we have these experiences, we're able to, to, to look and see. I remember when I, I first had a, an overwhelming experience with the Holy Spirit at age 15, and I was, I, I, there was just this hunger and this desire uh, for more of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and that was a, a normal thing that we were encouraged to do. But I remember there was this authentic hunger 
There was a, a hunger for uh, more of the Holy Spirit. And I, I remember being at a, at a camp one summer and just crying out in worship uh, to God for more of him. And, and in that session, just being overwhelmed with the power of the Holy Spirit, what some would call the infilling of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit in that moment. And for me, what happened was it was just like an eruption of joy and praise. And, 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 and it, was, it was palpable. And I looked back at Acts chapter 2, and I saw what happened when those disciples that were first in the upper room, when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it gave me framework for that. And I also, I recognized a boldness in being able to share my faith. There wasn't this burdensome uh, task that I had as a follower of Jesus, but it now became this joy, and there was boldness that came with that. And so it's important for us that as we desire to experience God, to always attach it to the framework, the meta-narrative of Scripture. That's a safe thing for us to do. It's a powerful and effective thing for us to do. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's showing, he's saying, hey, you know, these Judaizers, I'm I'm actually, I believe that, that Jesus came to fulfill all the things that we have prayed for, that we as, as zealous Jews have cried out for and have desired very, very much. So he continues on and he lays out more evidence, if you will. My immediate response, Paul writes, was not to consult any human being after this happened to him. I wasn't, he's saying, I wasn't going to take a course, not that there's anything wrong with that. I wasn't going to intern with one of the senior apostles. That's not what he's saying here. I, uh, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem uh, to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. He was there for three years before he went on to Jerusalem. And, and I think in this, it's important to recognize how Paul models for us that before we can effectively do business for God, we need to steal away and we need to do business with God one-on-one. It's important to spend that that alone time with him, that time just seeking his face, being in his presence, uh, discerning what his will is for us, his plans, his purposes. Now, as I'm reading uh, Galatians chapter one, I know this is not the first time that Paul has gone through this evidence in my case thought process. I'm sure it hasn't regarding the legitimacy of his apostleship. I'm sure that every single time that he has been persecuted, every single time that he has gone through hardships, every single time that he has been discouraged, he has reflected back, Jesus, did you really call me to do this? Did you really call me, this Jew of Jews, to go to Gentiles to preach this good news of a crucified Messiah? Is that, was that really what you, you, you did? These early years of preparation, they were vital. They were vital for Paul's soul and for his steadfastness in ministry. And this time doing business with God fortified his identity. It fortified his calling. It was a, uh, an essential component of his, of his longevity and his fruitfulness. Um, I remember back when I felt called to to become a, a pastor. Um, I'd been a leader here in the church for four or five years. And our then uh, founding pastor, senior pastor, Thor Kohlberg, talked to me about coming on staff. And 
over the course of a couple of years, I was just praying. And it's like, at first I had no interest uh, and I told him flat out no. And God just began to do some work in my life over the next couple of years. And, and then he asked me about coming on and uh, officially. And, and by that time, and I guess it was probably September of, of 1994, sort of like, yeah, I, I think I might want to do that. And I, I said, give me a month to really pray over this and to fast over this and to make sure that I am getting the green light from the Lord. And um, at the end of the month, I didn't have the green light. I, I just didn't. And I knew that I had to know. I knew that I had to know that this is what God was calling me to do, to leave my work in, in media to do this. And I just didn't have it. And I, 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 I had to have it. And so I told him no. And um, went on with my work in, in TV and uh, continued to serve here in the church. And uh, we didn't talk anymore about it because it was pretty definitive. No, just God's not giving me the green light on that. And I, I just can't, I can't do that if I, unless I've got that very loud and clear green light. And so uh, um, that Christmas, Mary Margaret was teaching at the time. It was before we had kids. Uh, and I had some vacation time at the TV station. So we do our family rounds at Christmas. And then we love to go to the beach uh, for a few days, whether the weather was great or whether it was awful. The beach is good any time of the year. And, uh, and so we went. And I remember being on the beach at Harbor Island and just crying out to the Lord. It was a, it was a dreary winter. Uh, and I remember being out there and just praying, God, what are you doing? I, 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 I'm done. I don't have any passion or for my work at the, the, in the TV, in TV anymore. And I don't feel like I've got a green light from you to, to move forward with this thing in media. God, what, what are you doing? Help me. I, I don't want to start this new year being so ambivalent. And I, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I, I, as clear as I've ever heard him, I sensed in my spirit that he said, the next time he asks you, it's time. All right. So we finish up our time at the beach. And the very first day that I'm back in the office of the new year, 1995, at 8.30 that morning, I get a phone call in my office and it's Thor. And Thor's like, Reese, just want to check with you one more time uh, about coming on staff. And that began a series of confirmations for me that it was the right time and to do that. And, and I came on staff at the end of February that year. And we had a service that morning, uh, I'm sorry, in February of that year, at the end of the month of February in 95. And we had a service that morning where I was ordained and commissioned. And I had some family members that were here. And one of my aunts came and she gave me a, a little day calendar uh, with encouraging uh, Bible verses and stuff. I thought, oh, that's sweet. You know, anyway. Um, but I got to my office the next day, and I pulled out the very first one for my very first day of my new job. And it was this, um, February 27th, if you're in God's will, then you can pitch your tent at the gates of hell and not be afraid. Yeah. I thought, that's a, that's a good way to start a new job. The verse that went along with that is, if you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. Because, um, yeah, guess what? Uh, like any other job, there are some rough days in pastoring, and you need to know that you know that you know that you're doing what you're supposed to do. So um, it, it, it's good to have that. And I know that Paul, on many occasions, looked back to that Damascus Road experience 
uh, that time that he had when he got his tail kicked off the donkey and he's laying there and this Jesus, illuminated Jesus appears to him and why are you persecuting me? And he encounters him and he calls him and he commissions him. And Paul continues to write in verse 21, I went on to Syria and Cilicia and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. Another translation says they praised God because of God in me. Because of God in me. And there is no better reputation for us to have than for people to say that they see God at work in us. And if you don't have a prayer with which to kick off 2024, I would encourage you, let this be your prayer. There is no, uh, just God, let people be able to see you at work in me. Come Holy Spirit, do your good work in me. And don't just make it in me. Pray for us as as a church family, because in every season it is vital for the church to restate and to re-inhabit the gospel, to preach it and to live it. And fresh revelation, fresh encounters with God, with his presence, with his truth, with his love is something that, that reinforces that, that fortifies that for all of us. And I invite you this morning to stand. As we stand together, we're gonna enter a time of worship And worship is a wonderful time for us to experience the manifest presence of God. Our worship welcomes God's presence. And this morning, as as you are worshiping God, I invite you just to make that your prayer. Holy Spirit, come. Give me a fresh revelation of your love, of your power, of maybe a sense of direction, a sense of purpose, a sense of calling for this time and this season ahead. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your love. We thank you that it is your good pleasure, your will to make yourself known to each one of us. Come Holy Spirit, receive our worship, receive our love that we can only give to you because you first loved us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.